Hello and welcome to Sound of Play 43. by Morihiko Akiyama, Hirofumi Murakami, and Masayuki Nagao, uh, or any combination of those composers. Sometimes it's hard to, to draw out who composed what track specifically, but that was called Whirlwind from Shinobi 3, Return of the Ninja Master, back in 1993 on the Sega Mega Drive. Uh, this was requested from the forum by Goodshot Jansen, who says... I've always been a fan of long odds in video games. Sure, it's one thing to be the plucky underdog, but I'm talking about more serious business. I'm talking about life-or-death situations where the clock is running out, and you, my friend, are on the backside of the curve. MGS1 was a game that perfectly captured this feeling, that is Metal Gear Solid, and it was definitely the first game that gave me the realization that there may be something more to video games than just video games, but I'm not here to talk about MGS1. I'm here to speak on my first game that put me in apprehension of certain failure in my gut, the feeling of dread that just maybe I was up against something way out of my league here. Your enemy was a criminal organization dabbling in paranormal research and robotics, and possessed a bioweapons division that made Umbrella look like a cheap startup. As a seven-year-old, this game disturbed me. It gave me nightmares, and for that I loved it. I spent hours drawing the hero, enemy, and scenarios presented in both the game and my imagination. 
The love I have for this title is due in no small part to the masterfully composed score. Some tracks are, albeit a bit out of place, most fit right where they sound. The piece I've chosen showcases the emotional discord I felt playing the game. The quiet determination as I, Joe Masashi, set out to fight my final battle. The game gave me the same feeling as I had watching Spike Spiegel's Last Stand in Cowboy Bebop. Chances were, I wasn't going to see the sun rise on another day, but that didn't matter. Surfing through the canals of a post-industrial wasteland on a hoverboard at 200 miles per hour, speeding through my demise never felt quite so right. It was a virtuous mission. This is Whirlwind from Shinobi 3 by Morihiko Akiyama, Hirofumi Murakami, and or Masayuki Nagayo. Uh, Josh, have you ever played any of the Shinobi games before? Um, I've dabbled with them. Um, I... Uh... I struggle with this era of um, Genesis games um, just from a gameplay perspective. I've always really liked mm. the aesthetic and the uh, the music especially. I think the Genesis has um, a number of great soundtracks, including the one we just heard. But uh, for whatever reason, um, I end up playing the first level of the Shinobi games and then quickly realizing that the challenge is uh, way above me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I'm kind of tempted to go back now that they've kind of revamped the uh, Genesis Mega Drive collection on Steam. They gave it a nice new layout and uh, added mod support and stuff like that. So it, it, it's a uh, they've done a good job of preserving their old titles, making them accessible. But anyways, you have heard me speaking to Josh already. Welcome to Sound of Play. I will introduce you formally. I am Ryan Heyman, and joining me in Sound of Play 43 is Joshua Garrity. Thank you for having me. It's been a while since I've been on one of these. <laughs> it has been a long time. We've missed having your voice on the show. Josh, as you all know, is one of the tenured panelists over on the Cane and Rinse podcast, along with myself and uh, maybe five more of us. Sounds about right. And we were originally going to have Sean O'Brien on the show as well, but he had to, uh, had to drop out at kind of the last minute. He had some stuff come up that he had to take care of. Totally fine. We'll get to hear again from him in the future. But this time around, it's it's just us palling around, <laughs> just the young folks in the show the today. The kids taking over. That's right. So our next song is The Wheels on the Bus. <laughs> and I, I love how there's such resonant themes of, of continuity yeah. as these bus wheels just go around and around. It, it kind of reflects the, the wheel of time, the, the unending cycle of life and death. And Classic. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's get back to business. Uh, Josh, it has been a long time since you've been on, so I thought you'd like to introduce a new track for all of us. Cool. Um, so I've brought so two of my tracks that I've uh, brought to the table are from uh, DLC uh, for some games uh, that came out in 2015. Um, the first of which is a track from Bloodborne's uh, The Old Hunters DLC. Uh, called Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower, composed by Yuka Kitamura. Um, this track plays during the uh, Lady Maria boss battle. Um, and just... Uh, I, I really love this boss battle on its own, um, regardless of the, the music. I think it's one of the the stronger uh, boss encounters in these uh, Souls games, um, right up there with Artorias for me. 
but um, the the music adds so much to to this fight, and I love the way that it changes uh, based on the stage that you are with her. So towards the beginning of the fight, as she's just slowly approaching you, it's just these very intense strings, and it almost matches the speed at which she's you know, walking towards you, and it's really menacing. And then as the fight uh, picks up, um, the you know, more inst- instruments and uh, choral vocals get introduced but every time um uh maria modifies her weapons um that another layer is added on top and the melody slightly changes now in the music that we're going to be playing on the podcast this is just going to occur naturally but one of the great things about this moment is uh seeing that triggered and how the music just naturally changes and goes straight into this uh, change of pace and and adding these new layers um yeah i just i think it's a fantastic example of music working to um convey what's going on on screen but also giving you an idea of how powerful the person you are fighting really is yes and we have a bloodborne on our cane and rinse schedule uh scheduled right at the end of this current volume we'll have that as issue 250 coming out around uh probably the end of november beginning of december of this year and so if you're curious as to our uh, our thoughts on all things bloodborne including the dlc stay tuned for that but until then this is lady maria of the astral clock tower
Yeah, so that is Bloodborne. I continue to love every piece of the Bloodborne soundtrack. Like the uh, the main game soundtrack was is very solid, and then the the DLC soundtrack had some really nice uh, original compositions, and also a couple that are kind of modifications or iterations on some of the motifs that were established in the main soundtrack, which is really exciting and fun to hear. Um, the The DLC is much shorter than the main game, and so we were only given a handful of tracks, but they definitely hold up as far as quality goes and feel like a real natural extension of the main soundtrack and the work that uh, the, the number of composers that worked on it had done together. Um, have you been playing any Dark Souls 3 recently? Um, yes, I have been playing Dark Souls 3. Um, I haven't managed to get uh, very far through it um, hmm. due to Kanan's commitments, actually. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I'm quite impressed with what I've seen so far. And, you know, while we're on the subject of music, um, mm. I've actually been really impressed with the uh, use of music in Dark Souls 3. Um, mm. uh, the music that plays during um, when you enter Firelink Shrine, uh, spoilers, uh, everyone, Um uh, the hub area of Dark Souls 3. Um, that was really affecting because I, when I saw the title, I just assumed that they would kind of um, lean on old um, old themes um, that they've used in in, in uh, the uh, original game. But they came up with an original composition, which I think is more than equal to the Firelink Shrine theme mm. from the original. I was really impressed. Anyways, uh, I wanted to introduce a track from a fun little indie game. Actually, I've not had the chance to play the game yet, but uh, one of my friends, actually a listener of the podcast, Jeremy Lim, is a composer for uh, one of the composers that is on Obliteracers. It is a kart racing game that is out on Steam right now, uh, and it looks like it is either on the Xbox One and PS4 already, or it's coming to them soon. But anyways, uh, kind of regardless of the system that you have, you could probably track down Obliteracers. And like I said, I can't speak too much about the game because I haven't had a chance to sit down with it and play it yet. But the soundtrack, which Jeremy sent me because he's one of the composers and (laughs) had access to it, is uniformly excellent. And it has a number of composers on the soundtrack including a couple that you might even recognize uh, protodome is on there which is cool and um, but just a, a lot of really talented folks doing a very kind of high energy but it's it's a really hard to describe soundtrack it is very high energy kind of like a mario kart but it also has like a really kind of cool subversive feeling to it as well and you know, I, I fell in love with so many of the tracks because so many of them are really just spot on excellent compositions that I'll probably be featuring a few more in the future. But I, I wanted to at least kick it off with the Obliteracers title theme. This is the main theme from the game because I feel like it is maybe the most representative of this style of the soundtrack. Uh, this is composed by Garriott Williamson for Obliteracers, which came out earlier this year. And it is a, uh, it's a very fun, very cool, very high energy track with a lot of uh, really nice kind of instrumental dynamism in there. And uh, if you like this track, then please do check out the rest of the soundtrack because it's uh, not necessarily more of the same because the entire soundtrack is hugely varied and there's a lot of variety on that soundtrack. But this does give a good indication as to the style and mood 
of the soundtrack and some of the really smart compositional choices there within. So this is Obliteracer's title theme by Garrett Williamson. was a piece from a little-known indie game always like featuring some of those here i'll have to check that out um that piece of music um i was really impressed by it and um Mm. i i think with racers especially um a a good soundtrack is really important i i find it's one of those genres where i actually it's actually kind of a requirement that there's some kind of um interest either 
interesting choices in license tracks or just a really compelling original soundtrack because it can add a lot of personality to what you know to mechanics that can feel you know mm. very familiar um yeah so i i was really impressed so i i will have to give uh obliteracers um a go when it comes out let's go on to another request from the forum this is from mauricio mauricio mm uh, apologies for the pronunciation there but this is i believe the uh the first post from this poster so welcome to the forum and uh excellent request here this is King and Country by Jeremy Soule from The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. By far my favorite music ever done for a video game is the work created by Jeremy Soule for The Elder Scrolls Saga. If I had to pick one of his albums, I'd go with the sublime Skyrim soundtrack, but I'd like to make a very well-deserved mention to the beautiful compositions found in the Oblivion soundtrack. When I listen to songs like King in the Country, I can feel the love to beauty and to life that Mr. Soule transmitted into his work especially when you get to know the almost tragic but eventually happy story behind the inspiration for the soundtrack. Long story short, a near-death experience of his. Uh, those are uh, Mauricio's words there. And yeah, that um, it does hold really true. I have always had myself a more, I guess, close affinity with the Oblivion soundtrack. And I wonder if it's because that was the one that I played first and it's one of those kind of like the zelda games the one that you play first is usually your favorite but i did play both oblivion and skyrim but when i think back to skyrim i don't remember a lot of the music as strongly as i remember the music in oblivion and i know that oblivion now is definitely uh, a bit aged and kind of looks like a first or second year xbox 360 title but just those memories of uh, the music really triggers those memories of walking those paths and exploring those hillsides. And uh, it, it does get me, you know, just all kind of welled up and, and thinking about the time that I spent in, in Oblivion, or I guess the time that I spent outside of Oblivion in The Elder Scrolls Four specifically. But yeah, this, this song, I think more than any other on the soundtrack, really encapsulates my feelings about my time with uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion. So... Listen to King and Country by Jeremy Soule.
Josh, do you have any kind of uh, that emotional linking back to the Elder Scrolls games with the with the music? Unfortunately, uh, I have quite a mixed relationship with the uh, Elder Scrolls games. Um, I I do really like the music, and I think Oblivion soundtrack is certainly. Um, one of the stronger uh, soundtracks in the hmm. in the Elder Scrolls saga. Um, I think my issue is that um, for me to really kind of like uh, grab onto a soundtrack and and it for it to have uh, meaning beyond just the music, um, I I have to kind of care about what the music is trying to convey and uh, express and uh, unfortunately and you know everyone you know to each their own um, I, I don't want to shoot down anyone's enjoyment of these games but for me personally um, I, I find these worlds um, uh, difficult to engage with on a personal mm. level um, and thus the music kind of just is just good orchestral music if that makes any sense and i i really do appreciate the work that's gone into them because it is fantastic music but it's never going to be like you know music from something like the witcher 3 or or dark souls or bloodborne or something like that because i'm linking that music to a specific event in my mm, head okay. or a specific character um so yeah, I, it's it's great. It's I I understand the love, but uh, yeah, I I I can't I can't uh, confess to having an emotional connection with this with this music. Yeah, I, I guess thinking back, whenever I do listen to the music, it makes me think about more of the times when I'm not doing anything, rather than the characters or the story being told, uh, which is not a uh, not a criticism, like just having those memories of wandering around the world and uh, just being in the kind of beautiful countryside. Uh, and one thing about that piece that we just played is that it's very warm and it's very uh, kind of subdued. And there's a lot of the feelings that are conveyed in that piece uh, reflect uh, nature more than the grand scope of the adventure, like you would hear in a Legend of Zelda or something like that. The instruments almost feel like a Peter and the Wolf-like representation of what you see around you, and it really feels baked into those surroundings, the um, the, the kind of slow horn or brass instrument or oboe or whatever the, the lead instrument is, uh, really just kind of feels to me like the the sun on my skin and the you know, twinkling in the background is like the, the birds flying through the trees, and um, I, I do really like that it communicates well that sense of of place but yeah i mean if if you don't really have a lot of uh, good memories of being in that space then you know it could just be flashing back to an afternoon which you feel uh you know was kind of uneventful anyways so that's that's totally fair as well speaking of the witcher 3 you're bringing something from uh some witcher 3 content to us now yeah, so um, here's the second track from a piece of DLC. Um, the track is called You're Immortal um, by Marcin Pishbywovich and uh, the band uh, Percival. Uh, and it's from the game The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. And this is from the Hearts of Stone DLC. Um, I... I, I I think the Hearts of Stone DLC is um, um, a fantastic piece of 
storytelling um, f- that focuses on character rather than um, like a big world-ending event or anything like that. Um, you've got that in the main story of Wild Hunt, um, whereas here Hearts of Stone is telling quite an intimate um character-focused story and i think the way the soundtrack for this dlc has been composed takes that into account um there's some great use of uh leitmotifs um throughout hearts of stone specifically for one character in particular um who uh whose music i'm not going to uh who's not going to appear uh, in this episode uh your immortals associated with another character um but uh, th- they use the music to convey character to convey um kind of mo- character moments and stuff like that rather than uh big uh events and uh world changing events um your immortal uh plays um uh when you first meet Olgierd von Evrick, who's one of the central figures of uh, Hearts of Stone, um, and what I what I really like about it is it kind of draws on everything that was great about um, the Wild Hunt soundtrack, but it's less. Um, the scale feels toned down. It's much quieter um, up until a point. Um, there's aggression there. There is. Um, anger towards the end of the track but it, it's quite um, soft towards the beginning and quite sad and it takes its time to get to get really going and and I feel like it, it's, it's a, a piece of music that kind of perfectly um, reflects the personality of Old Gear Von, e- Von Evrick. It's, it's quiet, it's confident but under the surface there's a sadness and an anger that's kind of waiting to burst to the surface um so yeah this is you're immortal by marcine and percival
Excellent. Always like more Witcher 3 music. We've had a, a fair amount of that on the show in the past, and uh, just the composition in that game, and especially, I think, the clarity with which it is recorded. Like, it is a really excellent-sounding soundtrack, from the orchestral stuff to the more kind of vocal stuff. They, they did a really excellent job of, of recording and mastering all of those tracks. I think bringing Percival on board um, has given... The Witcher Free, a uh, the Witcher Free soundtrack, a unique identity that really makes it stand out amongst other fantasy soundtracks, because Percival's vocals are so um, primal. There's something really raw about them, it, and I mean that in a positive sense. Like it feels like it's tapping into um, the core of the emotion that's trying to be expressed by the music, very immediately. Mm. So. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think the the DLC, and I hope um, Blood and Wine also does this, takes advantage of Percival more because um, I I want to see more of their music in games. They've they've done an excellent job here, and um, I, I like I like to see um, uh, when when games kind of bring on board people outside of outside of the industry and who don't um who aren't going to produce the same old same old music that we're used to for particular genres yeah very cool down to track seven now this is uh recently i went back to playing katamari damasi the ps2 version on my ps3 i had bought it when i was when it was on sale a little while back and i have a, a huge amount of affection for the katamari games but my entry point into the series was Beautiful Katamari on the Xbox 360, which I uh, played my roommate's copy of back in my freshman year of college. And then um, I bought uh, Katamari Forever for the PS3 uh, when I bought my PS3. Like that was the game that I bought with it because, you know, super into that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, it's so weird going back to the original Katamari because I guess I... I wasn't expecting how, uh, or I wasn't prepared for how similar it was going to be to uh, what I guess came out to be its final iteration. I don't know if the Vita version came out after the PS3 version, but uh, Katamari Forever was definitely the last console iteration of Katamari so far. You know, it, it may come back in the future, but the uh, director of the game has gone on to do other things and hop on other projects and so i'm not getting the sense that he's hugely keen to return to it and uh, the way that the katamari series has been handled recently uh, with mobile games and, and stuff has been a little uh discouraging <laughs> to the fans but uh regardless the old games still exist and they are great and it, it's funny because katamari damasi was essentially with a few small changes very much the same game as Katamari Forever. And, uh, you know, it, it's not that the series kind of refused to innovate past its first entry. It was just that they just got everything right on their first try, which is not something you could say for a lot of series. Like, they really just hit it right on, like, from the very beginning. They knew exactly what they were going for, and uh, they really did not need to deviate much from their original plan after that game. The soundtrack to the first game has always been my favorite, and even though I hadn't played the first game up until recently, I, I did listen to the soundtrack a lot, and it it's always been something that I would put on in the background when I'm doing homework or listen to while I'm waiting for the bus or something, but... Uh, 
when I went back to the first game, it was surprising how every single song that would come on on every new level that I played was one of my favorite songs. Like, this is amazing. Like, I love this song. (laughs) And there's not many games that I can really say that about like you know maybe like Parappa the Rapper although that seems a little on the nose because that's a music game but um, you know to to love every single song on the soundtrack pretty much uh, we featured a little bit of Katamari music on Sound of Play before back in issue 36 uh, requested by Patrick Smith uh, our, our guest for that issue he requested the main theme which is a wildly dynamic song uh, absolutely love it is that kind of a Shibuya K Japanese music style, uh, which is so it's wacky and disparate in its musical influences. Uh, this song's a little bit more contained, although there's still a lot of really smart compositional work that is going into it. This is Lonely Rolling Star by Yoshito Yano, uh, with vocals by Saki Kabata from Kanemaru Damasi back in 2004 on the PlayStation 2. And this song plays kind of like a typical... It's kind of cute J-pop song, I would say. <laughs> but I, I just love the way that the verses are so kind of reserved and minimal. And then it just kind of bursts into the chorus, which is so fun. Uh, and then, of course, that uh, the opening riff that plays a couple times throughout the song as well. But it's so memorable and gets stuck in your head so often. And then I, I also like how it really smartly dips back into Katamari on the Rock, the main theme from the Katamari game and the Katamari series. It, it plays that motif right at the very end, which is uh, is really well incorporated and really wonderful. So ultimately, everything about this song is is quite strong, and it's one that I find myself listening to a lot. So this is Lonely Rolling Star by Yoshito Yano from Katamari Damacy.
Now, we haven't covered Katamari Damasi before on Kanan Rinse, although I'd imagine we'll get around to it someday. It is such a fixture in the gaming landscape. Um, but it's, yeah, such a such a strange game. Josh, do you have a lot of experience with Katamari? Yeah, um, I, I've played uh, Katamari Damasi and then the uh, the sequel, We Love Katamari. Um, that was yeah. the one on the PSP, right? Uh, no, th- those were both on the PS2. Um, oh, I've, I've okay. only ever played um, the PS2 mm. entries of uh, Katamari. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, despite what I was saying earlier with Oblivion, um, I think these two, both of these games, Katamari Damacy, We Love Katamari, uh, I think you could just buy these soundtracks and just listen to them uh, as oh, yeah, albums <laughs> without without the context of the game because the music is just really really good and and it's not just the quality it's the variety as well. We love Katamari's soundtrack is um, distinctive from uh, Damasi's. There's a lot of original music there that's equally as good but carves out its own identity. Um, yeah, and and it, it's funny because I, I said this on the Persona 3 podcast. Uh, uh, on that show, I was saying that the soundtrack to those games, um, if you, you know put it on paper and told me that I'd love this music, I'd laugh at you and, and I think it's quite similar here the The music is very J-poppy and, and kind of wild and mixes genres but for whatever reason it really works for me um, the The music for the Katamari games it's, it's just it's just really good, it's just really good yeah, I was doing some research on the Shibuya K, the uh, the sub genre of J-pop that this draws most heavily from, and it's really fascinating how kind of representing the Shibuya district in Tokyo, the way that that is so kind of like a multicultural hub within Tokyo, and um, you know influences from so many different places, and that's reflected in the music as well. That you'll get a lot of electronic stuff, you know, kind of traditional of J-pop, but also a lot of influences from hip hop and from samba and from jazz. And it, it, it's neat to hear all of these styles come together, and um, particularly to be mixed in such a such a wild way. I love how the Katamari soundtrack is always just kind of wildly jetting between the two speakers and always making some strange noises and sound effects that fade nicely into the music and it just feels like a real dense musical landscape. Uh, This song a little bit less so than the uh, Moon and the Prince or Katamari on the Rocks or some of its more um, maybe famous and more busy compositions, but I, I like music that is intellectually engaging. And I think that the Katamari soundtrack gives that to me because I can listen closely and try to kind of anchor myself onto one instrument and I'll be hearing new things every time, which I, I absolutely love. So we have a uh, another Japanese piece coming up, but from uh, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum a little bit. <laughs> Josh, you want to introduce this next one? Yes. Um, so my next track is called Battle with an Esper, and it's composed by Hitoshi Sakamoto. Um, and the game in question is Final Fantasy XII. Um, Final Fantasy XII is the last... Um, main entry uh, Final Fantasy that I really have any affection for 
Um, I, I've spoken about it a lot on various podcasts and, and on social media. But uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen ended up being quite a crushing disappointment um, to the point where I actually temporarily kind of lost faith in the genre uh, of JRPGs until Persona. Genre. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm not even joking. It really defi- oh. it, it it was one. It was at a time where um, I was really letting. I was younger. Um, I, it was 2010, I believe it came out, and I was in. I was like 20. And I still allowed myself to get wrapped up in the hype and 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 you know and trailers and so forth. And that's not totally left me. I still um, get excited for games, but like not to the point where I will um, pre-order a game in spite of negative reviews I've seen, which is what happened with uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen. I, I saw some negative coverage of it and thought, you know what, I'm not going to be bothered by that stuff. And it turned out I was very much bothered by that stuff um and um yeah so since then i've i've kind of been um quite nostalgic about final fantasy 12 in in spite of the fact that um it's not really my favorite in the series it's just uh because it was the for me kind of like the last goodbye um, before the before the franchise kind of um, went in a direction that didn't really interest me anymore. I'm not sure if Final Fantasy 15 might um, might recover my interest, but we'll see. But um, I think Final Fantasy 12, um, if I'm going to praise it for anything, it's aesthetically kind of phenomenal. Um, what they were doing on the PS2 uh, with Final Fantasy 12 is. Uh, I I I cannot believe how good that game looks even now. It, it's it's kind of amazing, and along along with the visuals and the art direction for Final Fantasy XII, um, uh, the the music's really really good, um, uh, which is surprising because it's um, one of the one of the better Final Fantasy soundtracks that doesn't feature. Um, Nobuo Matsu uh, as the main composer. He did compose the main theme for this game, but um, I believe this was around the time where he was kind of checking out of the Final Fantasy uh, franchise. Um, but the soundtrack's really good, despite his um, uh, despite his absence. Um, uh, this track in particular, um, composed by Hitoshi Sakamoto, um, uh, I. It really conveys the power of the espers. The espers are kind of the stand-in for uh, summons in this game. And uh, in order to capture the summons, you have to fight them at certain points in the games. But um, this music, it's very powerful. It's very um, threatening and... um, you d- you do get the the sense that maybe um, this this threat that you're you're trying to overcome is maybe too much for you. Um, the music does kind of overwhelm the senses during these battles, along with the sound design. Um, I I think the whole of Final Fantasy XII soundtrack is pretty phenomenal. Uh, honestly, um, I it's one of my favorite PS2 soundtracks. Um, 
So um, this is kind of I'm kind of you know using this track as a taster for anyone who hasn't listened to the soundtrack and and hoping that you'll uh, track down the the whole thing because I think I I honestly think it's one of the better non Uematsu uh, soundtracks to come out of, uh, to come out of the Final Fantasy series. Um, yeah, so here is uh, Battle with an Esper by Hitoshi Sakamoto. that uh, Uematsu was not on the soundtrack is the soundtrack composed uh, kind of following his style or did they really let Sakamoto develop his own style for this game 
Um, it it doesn't feel like Uematsu. Um, honestly, mm. um, uh, it, it feels more like um, John Williams. I know Uematsu mm. is often compared, is often said to be the John Williams of video games, but I actually think his style is quite uh, quite distinctive from John Williams. Whereas this, because the story of Final Fantasy twelve is really really riffing off of Star Wars, like. There are direct analogs to Star Wars in the <laughs> in the Final Fantasy XII plot. I think they were um, deliberately trying to evoke that tone and that feel mm, okay. um, in the soundtrack, and you do get you do get a lot of moments in the music that, even though then you know it's 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 not like a homage or it's not um, identical or in any way, but it, it does evoke that same feeling of something like A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back at certain points. You always wonder how much, if there has been one composer whose style has been just really intrinsically linked with a series for so long, like if... Uh, if Rare decided to develop another Banjo-Kazooie game and, you know, Kirk Hope wasn't on board, like, the composer would pretty much have to just copy Kirk Hope's style. Like, this is the music that people will be expecting from this game. And so you wonder if, uh, you know, a new composer is taking over for one and there is a certain sound to the series, how much freedom do they have and how much do they have to kind of contain themselves to uh, fans' expectations? There's probably a lot of real interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I have to look into that a little bit, actually. Now that I'm interested. This next track is a little bit of an obvious choice, I feel, but I, I just wanted to feature it because it is really just one of the best video game themes that I've heard in a, a very, very, very long time. Um, like This is a, a marvelous piece of music that I, I didn't want to just leave off the list. Um, so excuse the obvious choice, but it's obvious for a reason, and that's because it's it's really, really good. But this is a medley of the, I guess, various iterations of Papyrus's theme from Undertale. Uh, this incorporates the tracks Nyehehe, Bone Trussle, and Oistadan from uh, Richard E.B.'s uh, Determination soundtrack, uh, kind of a, a companion soundtrack that was uh, put out. Um, I, I believe it's a, even officially sanctioned, whatever you know that means, really, <laughs> how important that is. But uh, this is a such a strange track for such a strange character, really. Um, for those who aren't in the know, Papyrus is maybe the comic foil of Undertale. I mean, all the characters are funny, but I don't think anyone's as funny as Papyrus is. Like he is, uh, he starts off as a uh, kind of a, a typical, like maybe video gamey villain. Uh, he wants to capture the human who you play as, as you know, the human is venturing through this this monster world. And um, and return the human to his uh, battle master or lord or whatever. And so he's setting traps for you, and he's always kind of one step ahead and one step behind. And uh, you kind of play this wily e. coyote and roadrunner type game for a little while there, uh, until you know you, you learn that there's not really anything that's uh, all that sinister about him, and you just decide to be friends uh, and uh, and date him, which is fun as well. But his theme really kind of encapsulates so much about his character like the the verse so to speak is this really neat uh 
kind of like a supervillain type theme. Like it has a, a sinister edge to it, but it's still bouncy and upbeat and fun. Like it's meant to be, uh, meant to sound evil-ish to somebody who doesn't really have it in them, <laughs> which is uh, really what um, you know Papyrus ultimately comes comes out to be. Uh, and then the the chorus, so to speak, the the really high energy part that kicks into is almost kind of like a like a yiddish dance like something maybe uh like jewish in origin or or eastern european like it, it's so so s- strange to hear in this context and especially following the verse um but it's a, a very strong composition that um will get stuck in your head but it's it's just really one of the best pieces of video game music that i've heard in a long time and um as i mentioned there is uh this kicks into this medley that I've uh, I've created mixes into Oestadan, uh that's French, I guess. I don't know. It is a, a, a metal cover of his theme, and I, I thought it was worth including because it sounds really good as a metal song as well. So um, we have the original kind of 8-bit version, a more lush version from later in the game, and then uh, Oestadan, the uh, metal cover. So this is Papyrus Papyrus Theme Medley by Toby Fox from Undertale.
Now, Josh, I don't believe you've played Undertale, is that right? Uh, I've started it. Okay. <laughs> I haven't I haven't finished it, no. So as somebody who I, I guess you have played a little bit of it, uh what was your impression of it before going into it? Because it has really uh established an identity for better or worse on the internet since its release. From the art and the music that I saw, um I, I was kind of getting cave story vibes from it, and I, I mm, that's, yeah, that's not fair. entirely unfounded because um, the creation of both of those games is kind of similar in that it is really one person's vision, um, and th- there is that also that kind of um, contrast between the very um, cartoony, uh, friendly aesthetic and the actual themes that are going on in the game um, that are a bit more mature. Um, I, I did like the music that I, I uh, heard in the game. Um, uh, unfortunately, I haven't gotten far enough to really get attached to any of the characters, so I haven't even met P- uh, Papyrus yet, so um, apologies. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I, I think the soundtrack's really good, um, and I will make time to uh, complete it at some point. Um, it's just, I have so many games to play. Yeah, it was a real surprise from 2015. And, you know, I, I uh, featured it on the, uh, not our game of the year list, really, but our year-end wrap-up uh, from last year. Yeah. But, yeah, it was something that I was I was so excited to, to tell people about because it was such a, you know, small game and which is a little demo that, you know, not many people knew about. And so I was like, oh, people are going to love this. And then it became kind of the, the most popular thing on the internet for a while. So, you know, uh, you can never predict these things, <laughs> but yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's uh, inexpensive and has some really uh, interesting gameplay choices. So we only have one track left, but uh, before we sign off, I wanted to remind everyone to please venture over to our forum at canonrinse.com forum, where you can request your own songs, and we will continue to play a selection of those in each playlist for our upcoming Sound of Play podcasts. I guess most of the time, unless we have a uh, you know, famous composer or somebody being interviewed. Uh, you can also request songs on our Twitter, at canonrinse, uh, use the hashtag SOP just to let us know. Uh, it, it, just, it makes it a little bit easier for us to keep track of. Or you can post on the Facebook page or email us at podcast at com. Just however you want to get a hold of us, uh, request those songs, and we will do our very best to put them into the mix. Although we have a long list at this point, and so if it doesn't make it in for a few weeks, feel free to give us a little kick in the right direction. But uh, we've not forgotten about it. Unless we have. Um, we have a long list and sometimes it gets a little cluttered, but we're doing our very best. Please do subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us an iTunes review or rating. And if you haven't, then please do check out the Canon Rinse podcast as well. That is our main podcast that we put out every Sunday where we do a really deep dive into one video game at a time, typically, or you know, a series or, or something. But usually it's just one video game at a time where we uh, kind of contextualize what the video game meant and... Uh, talk about all aspects of it, not just its music. So anyways, thank you, Josh, for joining me today. All of our community contributors as well, please keep the request coming. The final request 
Uh, there is not a text description to go with it, and so I'll do my best to come up with uh, a nice way to introduce the song. But this comes from Wyatt Hoglow, uh, who emailed us a lovely email where he requested Room of Angel from Silent Hill 4, The Room, by Akira Yamaoka. Now, Josh, you've played Silent Hill 4, right? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, I have to say that the music wasn't the most memorable in the series. Um, I love uh, Akira Yamaoka. Um, I think he's a really, really good composer. And his work in um, uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3, but especially 2, um, is some of the best, uh, some of my favorite um, music uh, in video games. Um Silent Hill 4 is certainly a memorable experience. I'll I'll give <laughs> I'll give you that. Um it it's it's a massively creative game and um I'm sure I'm sure there is also some really creative music in there, but um at the time when I was playing it I was more distracted by um some of the mechanical choices and um uh, story choices that were in Silent Hill for the room but it is it definitely is one of the weirder and more creative um um Silent Hill games in the series and and I'm sure the soundtrack reflects that. Yeah, you know, as we mentioned earlier we were originally also going to have Sean O'Brien on the podcast who is another Silent Hill fan so I was kind of hoping that uh that he could bail me out because I I don't have any experience with Silent Hill 4. Just based on the song, I I apologize for not being able to contextualize the song, um, but it is a a really lovely piano composition with some female vocals on top. Uh, I I do really like the way that it sounds. It's The lyrics are a little distracting to me. They come across as being very kind of emo, which I don't care for necessarily. And I don't know if that was because, uh, you know, it was maybe more poetic and meaningful in Japanese and it just didn't survive the translation all that well. But I I do view the lyrics as being a little... uh, uh, a little simple for my tastes. Yeah. Uh, do you remember when the song was played in the game, Josh? Um, unfortunately, uh, I do not. Um, I do recognize the music, but mm. um, the context, unfortunately, has left my mind. The hub room is a room um, that you are locked into. It's kind of an apartment that uh, a lot of the actual gameplay and it branches out from like you that is your firelink shrine so to speak you know yeah uh eventually the the horror does start working its way into the room and for a more um more of a deep dive on this game specifically check out canon rinse issue 163 where we've talked about silent hill for the room uh not not we necessarily because obviously i know nothing about it but the folks on the podcasting team who are more qualified to speak on it have uh, done a very thorough um recap of that but uh, yeah, this is a uh, lovely composition. And so if you can kind of get over the lyrics, then um, I think there's a lot to like in it. Uh, we put it at the end of the show because it is quite long, but I, I do I do like it. This is Akira Yamaoka's Room of Angel from Silent Hill 4, The Room. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah.